Hello, and welcome to another edition of Across the States, the premier state policy podcast, courtesy of the American Legislative Exchange Council. I'm your host, Matt Fisher, and today joining us for an exclusive episode on protecting free speech in higher education is three special guests. First, Sharice Trump, Executive Director of Speech First, an organization consisting of a community of students, parents, faculty, alumni, and concerned students and citizens fighting for free speech rights on college campuses. She's also the host of Well Said. Welcome, Sharice Trump, to Across the States. Great to have you on today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Also joining us is a columnist for the New York Post, fellow at the Foundation for Individual Rights and Education, contributor to Reason Magazine, and a variety of other publications. If you were at our annual meeting in Salt Lake City last year, you have seen her speak. She does all this while a student at Columbia University. Ricky Schlott, welcome back to Across the States. Great to have you with us again. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you again. And Andrew Handel, who is our task force director tackling everything education and free speech. Join us again. Andrew, it's always a pleasure to have you on. Thanks for joining us. How's, how are things going out there in Maryland right now? They're good. They're good. Just waiting for the temperatures to warm up. Well, <laughs> I was, it was 50 degrees last week in Cincinnati, so even 66, even 65 feels balmy the uh, way things have been going in terms of the temperature. Thankfully, summer's on the corner, so let's kick things off by going to you, Ricky. Now, you've been in the podcast before. You told your story to our, to our listeners, but uh, for those who haven't heard, tell our listeners about your experience at NYU as a student. What inspired you to become not only a journalist with a resume of covering important issues already, but... What also inspired you to become a student activist? What experiences did you have at NYU that led you on the course that you are um, in terms of your career? So um, even going back to my high school days, I think I had some pretty formative experiences with cancel culture. And, you know, the 2016 election happened when I was, I guess, a junior in high school. And so I saw um, a liberalism and kind of hostility towards different beliefs just from a really formative young age. And, you know, that only continued at NYU. Of course, I live in a very progressive city and I was kind of an outlier as a libertarian on campus. But um, I was kind of consistently shocked by by uh, like the liberalism of not only my peers, but also sometimes professors and just an unwillingness to have a conversation with people in a, in a respectful and constructive way, which to me is the very point of being on campus in the first place. And so during the pandemic, I saw that get even worse, especially um, like following the George Floyd protests, there were a lot of um, kind of, there was craziness on social media, the cancel culture kind of just got to a next level. And so I decided that I, as a sort of moderate, more conservative voice on campus, wanted to put myself out there and, and um, demonstrate that there are people with different viewpoints that aren't as scary and terrible as people seem to make us out to be. And so I started doing journalism. And unfortunately, um, within, I guess, maybe like a little more than a year and a half now, I've um, managed to become colonist at the New York Post and um, have been really fortunate to be able to use my voice to kind of speak out as a young person who kind of doesn't toe the line politically. Definitely, definitely. Now, Sharice, you have had Ricky on your podcast before, I know, and this makes the second or third time you guys have been together. Um, you've done work with Speech First, your organization. Um, you've been done work litigating on behalf of college students who have fallen victim to uh, campus bias response teams to free, providing protections for free speech organizations. Mm -hmm. So what are campus bias response teams? It seems like something out of some sci-fi movie, a really terrible <laughs> college dorm sci-fi movie, but what are these campus bias um, response teams? And how have they been used by colleges to get around state and federal protections for free speech? Now, that's a great question. But before I answer it, yes, Ricky was on my um, podcast a little while ago. 
um, and our conversation was around how Gen Z is going to supposedly save America, right, from from self destruction. And that we'll was, try. We'll try. <laughs> that was kind of the, the part of the conversation is that these are the college students right now, right? This is where the front lines are, and this is where the major battles are happening with regards to free speech. Um, and so to yeah to answer your question on bias reporting systems and bias response teams, that sounds really convoluted and complicated because we're using the terminologies that the universities are using. Um, we just kind of refer to them as sensor squads, right? That's because that's essentially what they are. They're, they're actually like anonymous reporting systems that solicit reports from students on one another um, and oftentimes on faculty or from faculty as well uh, uh, regarding bias incidents. And they oftentimes don't define what bias is, right? They just say bias incidents. Sometimes they do define it and they actually say that a political affiliation or insulting someone's political affiliation or offending someone's affiliation can be considered bias. Sometimes they'll just say unwanted or offensive speech can be considered bias, joking, stereotyping, my Microaggressions. These are all oftentimes listed as what things students can report on one another on. And so obviously this leads to a serious um, problem of self-censorship because students, once they become aware of these policies, are not really sure what they're allowed to talk about, allowed to say, um, and they end up walking on eggshells uh, around one another. Oftentimes we see uh, reports or systems that solicit reports on, you know, bystanders. So folks who are just kind of standing next to someone who might offend someone else by saying something politically charged or even honestly, sometimes they're just mainstream political opinions that folks are trying to express and they still get reported. Um, so I can go into detail on some of the examples we've seen, but they're pretty insidious policies um, and they're across the campus. We recently released a report that looked at over 800 universities, public and private across the country, and over 55% of them had uh, had bias reporting systems that solicit wow. these types of reports on, uh, on students. And we're going to keep increasing the number of schools we look at to try to track down as many as we can. But it's a pretty high number, so it's concerning. That is concerning. And so, Ricky, you've contributed, you mentioned earlier, you've contributed to a lot of you know, really <clears throat> significant publications like the New York Post, the Wall Street Journal, um, we've even seen you on Fox News and, and uh, BBC. Um, so you've clearly managed to navigate this tricky environment on college campuses when it comes to free speech. And, you know, you've, you've noted that censorship and micromanaging of content is a particular problem among professors and administrators. So I'm just curious if you could elaborate on that and maybe, you know, highlight, you know, your experience with that at NYU. Absolutely. Um, so at NYU, I finished around two years on campus before lockdowns. And I remember one of my, my first experiences is getting my NYU ID card and um, going through an orientation process. And they tell you, well, here's the phone number for emergency services. Here's the um, like the campus police phone number. And then like the next thing is the bias response hotline that's always open. And it was, as uh, Cherise explained, like very ill-defined. There was widespread self-censorship, I find even among my more progressive peers who um, are kind of more along with the political mainstream, but still aren't really sure like what could be misconstrued. And, you know, it was, um, I think the, the overwhelming sense is that if you just cross someone's emotional threshold, then you might get reported for something, which is obviously super vague and super subjective. And so I think that there was just widespread censorship. All the um, kind of national polling data demonstrates that that's the case. And uh, how administrators actually respond to these issues is uh, largely inconsistent and often uh, very opaque. So it's, it's difficult to understand, you know, what 
could potentially get you in trouble, who could possibly be snitching on you for having a different opinion or, or a disagreement. And so it was, it's pretty dystopian. I mean, it just absolutely mm-hmm. negates the purpose of a higher education and wrestling with controversial ideas. And unfortunately, it just insulates everyone, which is the worst possible scenario on campuses. Yeah. And um, so, Sharice, you know, you mentioned uh, some of the cases that uh, Speechverse mm-hmm. has been filing. And I know, um, you know, you and I were just recently talking about your case with the University of Central Florida um, and the win that you had there. I know it was a pretty strong ruling uh, in, in favor of Speech First and against these, these biased response teams at the university. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just um, you know, wondering if you can elaborate on that decision and, you know, also talk about just generally um, among all the lawsuits that you've been filing, what has the reaction from the courts generally been? Yeah, that's a great question, um, because we've had a number of cases that have focused on um, bias response teams. We also file lawsuits on, on other things such as discriminatory harassment policies like flying restrictions, chalking restrictions, and more recently, computer use policies, which is we can talk about that, too. Our universities try to limit and restrict what students can send to one another via email um, based on whether or not it's offensive or unwanted information. Of course, at a public university, that's like super unconstitutional. Um, but you know, with the bias response teams, it's interesting because we have to prove that we have standing, that there's actually um, harm being done, right? So this is where the self-censorship stuff really comes into play here, showing that students aren't speaking up and their free speech rights are being violated um, with the potential harm that, that that's going to come of being disciplined um, by a bias response team or, or through, through an administrative process that solicits these reports. And so when you get these, when students oftentimes get these emails from, uh, fr- from professors or oftentimes from the dean of students or from the DEI office, wherever it's housed, uh, it will just say that you've been reported to the bias response team or whatever the university calls it, because sometimes they go by different names. And the student really doesn't really know what to make of that. They just kind of go in for the meeting and sometimes are pressured into writing letters of apology or taking mandated diversity courses. Other times they try to push back and say, hey, is this meeting optional? And the university will say, of course, it's optional, but we'll just presume that you're guilty if you don't come to the meeting. Uh, So these, you know, they really, you know, students just, again, if you're an 18 or 19 year old and you're on campus, you're, you're not going to go around assuming that your administrators on the campus are violating your constitutional rights regularly. So you're kind of make the assumption that everything that you're seeing is kind of within the legal lines, right? Um, but what they don't realize is that it's not. And so this is where speech first comes in is when we have our members tell us, you know, or come to us and ask if these things are legally um, constitutional or if there's if there's a line being crossed here. And that's where we step in. So you mentioned our recent case, University of Central Florida, which we just won at the 11th circuit. It was a big win for us um, because that kind of increased our, our circuit wins. We had uh, previous wins in the fifth and sixth circuits against University of Michigan and the University of Texas, Austin. And again, all three of these cases focus on bias reporting systems uh, or bias response teams, essentially. And, uh, you know, the court's reaction is that obviously this chills speech, right? Um, the, the opinions outline, of course, students are not going to want to be <laughs> reported or accused of such things as hate or bias or offending someone. So they're going to avoid being reported, which inevitably is going to chill their speech. In addition, most of the judges recognize that they're students are not going to are also going to worry about the concern of, of having records being kept on them. You know, even if nothing comes of the report itself, there's a record being kept on that student. Right. So there's something is coming of it. And who knows what the university plans to use that report for. Maybe the student's going to apply for a scholarship or for something else on campus. And then this 
rapport will be kind of opened up on them and, and, and some investigations will be made. Um, so this is a concern for students. There's real tangible consequences. It's not just a matter of them, you know, being afraid on their own. There's, they're afraid of the actual consequences that are, are pretty much guaranteed. And Ricky, you know, especially when you were at NYU, what were some services or tools that you think would have been helpful uh, to you and you know, more broadly for college students today who are struggling with an ideologically stifling environment? Well, I think that the number one thing that universities absolutely should do is in orientation processes, make it very clear that this is a free speech zone, this, this campus, these classrooms, you can say anything that is within the bounds of your constitutionally protected speech. And of course, there's the public and private distinction. But regardless, I, I believe that all schools, we, we go through so many different community value guidelines, and that should be first and foremost. And I think that another thing that administrators absolutely should do is um, affirm the the University of, of Chicago's uh, guidelines on free speech and make sure that there is a clear uh, statement coming from the top of the school that this is how we're going to treat political differences. And I think, you know, having that as one of your introductory uh, sessions in college is so important because I think my generation is just really generally disconnected from free speech values. They don't quite understand them in the first place. And so having a better understanding of what classical liberalism is and why we're on college campuses in a community to speak with each other in the first place is super helpful. And I would also um, strongly recommend just on the personal level that students network in clubs or different organizations just to find like-minded people. Because I find even at a school like NYU, I since speaking out and actually getting involved, I'm shocked by how many people have been kind and even with political differences have expressed some degree of support or even just acknowledged and appreciated me speaking out. And so I think finding that community and seeking that out and, and kind of taking the first step is always powerful because people will certainly come out of the woodwork. Definitely. And I think uh, that's something that we see prevalent today is that even those who disagree in our society are generally tired with the idea that we shouldn't be able to exchange ideas, especially, mm -hmm. as you mentioned, Ricky, in a college campus of all places. Uh, Andrew, uh, what are some of the ways that ALEC has been involved with um, strengthening freedom of speech on college campuses? What are some of the model policies, the ideas and work that your task force has done to uh, push the ball downfield in that regard? Yeah, yeah. So we have one model policy on this. Uh, it's called the Forming Open and Robust University Minds Act, um, or Forum for short. Um, it's one of Alex's more successful model policies. I think it's been parts of it have been implemented in at least 20 different states. And then just this year, uh, Georgia and Indiana passed um, you know, the Forum Act provisions as well. And it, it really does a few key things. The first is it bans this notion of campus free speech zones. Um, you know, we were seeing colleges use those as an excuse to, you know, shove students into a dark corner and you know, very back at campus where nobody can hear their, their protest or what, what they want to talk about or, or no one will be able to receive a flyer that the student wanted to hand out. Um, so we, we put that aside and um, it expressly um, permits free speech activities in any publicly accessible outdoor area of campus. So a campus quad, for example, um, you know, the, the Forum Act says students are free to um, express themselves in those areas. And then the final thing it does is that it adds accountability for the public colleges and universities. So 
It does that by requiring them to report any free speech incidents that they become aware of. And it also creates a private cause of action. So students who have been aggrieved by um, you know, violation of their First Amendment rights on campus, um, it creates the ability for them to file a lawsuit and um, you know, potentially you know, receive damages um, as a result. So you know, that's another really important step to you know, not only making these cases transparent, but also holding these universities accountable. Definitely transparency will absolutely help in regards to this issue of helping ensure that students have the rights acknowledged on college campuses. Before we go, Sharice, um, you want to tell our audience about how they can get involved with your organization, Speech First, as well as other grassroots movements to help defend free speech on campuses? Yeah, for sure. You can reach us at speechfirst.org. Um, you know, sign up to become a member. Tell us your story. Uh, we do stud regular student spotlights where we shine a light on student experiences. Uh, Ricky was actually a um, participant in our student spotlight series. And, you know, like I said, I'm on the Well Said podcast where I interview folks in higher education and speech or free speech issues in American culture, just kind of talking about, you know, what's going on and, and how to fix it as well, having more, those more in-depth conversations. Uh, so like I said, speechfirst.org, or you can find us on, on, on social media. Um, but really at the end of the day, you know, we just ask that you reach out and decide to become a member so that you can so that we can possibly represent you in the future, but then also so that we can teach you and educate you about your rights on campus and, and kind of keep you informed on what's going on around the country as well. Absolutely. And uh, Ricky, any last, anything you want to retell our audience, how they can follow you, what your work and what you're doing on uh, in terms of publications, their, their most recent writing and whatnot, is there any they can follow you uh, for listeners? Um, yeah, almost everything that I do kind of ends up congregated on my Twitter feed. So just Ricky Schlott is my handle there. And um, yeah, keep an eye out for my articles in the New York Post. I usually have a couple a month. And um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Awesome. Well, Ricky, Sharice, Andrew, thank you for joining us on Across the States and for being fantastic guests and giving us fantastic content today. I appreciate you all joining us today. And thank you to our listeners and to our guests uh, tuning in. Be sure to stay tuned for more of Across the States, the Premier State Policy Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Fisher, and I will see you again next time.